He was without question one of the greatest reformers, if not the greatest reformer, to come out of Scotland. His name was John Knox. He lived in the 16th century, born in the early 1500s, and um, from first glance, he had quite a beard. Some of you guys who are working on beards need to take that and look at that and, and work on that deal. John started off as a Catholic priest and then was converted in 1545 and uh, was instrumental in uh, adding to the Geneva Bible of 1560, and he was a great preacher of the gospel. He spent some time in some French prisons for preaching the gospel. Uh, he was... Uh, actually noted on his deathbed when he called his wife to him and asked, him, asked her to read in his dying moments John chapter 17, calling it one of the anchors of his soul, his first anchor. John chapter 17 is commonly known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, and it is a marvel that we have this chapter in the Bible. Last Thursday was, uh, of course, Thanksgiving in the afternoon. Everyone was there, and uh, it was time to go outside and play, and for some reason, Landon did not want to go upstairs and get dressed, pull his shorts on and put his socks on and the labor of that was getting to him, and so he was boohooing and crying, and much to the chagrin of parents and grandparents, no one could get him to do it. And finally, um, he threw himself down and got up and walked up the stairs, crying still, and uh, Benny followed him, his cousin, and Benny said to him, four-year-old Benny said, and this is what we heard from the staircase, five words that changed everything. We heard Benny say to his cousin, don't cry, I'll help you. And the crying stopped and the cousins took each other's hands and up the stairs they went. In a few minutes he was down and dressed and they were outside playing. John chapter 17 is God's don't cry, I'll help you. It's as simple as that. And with this prayer that Jesus lifts his eyes toward heaven, he takes the Christian life out of the realm of the Christian and launches it into the heavens. John chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven Notice when he had spoken these words, these were the last words that Jesus Christ would ever speak to his disciples. After this prayer, he would go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would then face the arrest and the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and all that's involved in the paying for our sins. He was done talking to his disciples. And I take it to mean in the midst of a spontaneous moment, notice he didn't bow his head, he lifted his head. Notice he didn't close his eyes, he opened his eyes. 
He spoke this prayer in the presence of his disciples. And his prayer for them is his prayer for us. Notice verse 1. He lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. This was to be the greatest hour in all the creation, in all mankind. There has never been an hour like this. It is an hour that is overlooked by humanity. It is an hour this world has rejected. But for we who know him as Savior and Lord, this hour is our hour. Because this hour changes everything. He said, notice, he knew what he was going through to the cross. Many times things happen to us that are disparaging and terrifying and awful. We didn't see it coming. Jesus saw this coming. He saw the cross. He knew the pain. He knew the rejection from his father. He knew the payment of sin. And yet notice he begins his prayer, not God. He begins his prayer as a father. Father. He says, the hour is come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. Don't let verse 2 slow you down. It's all the same sentence. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Wow. Well, what's so glorious about the cross? Because that's what he's talking about. He's praying to the Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What could possibly be glorious about the place that he was going? Because on the cross, our sins were paid for. On the cross, the blood was shed that covered all of our sins. In the cross, the power of the enemy was broken. In the, in the working of that hour that he was facing, the glory of the Father was seen in the Son, and the Son was glorifying in the Father in that he was paying for our sins. There has never been more a miraculous moment than this, a most incredible time that our, our, our shackles were broken, that we were set free at this time. Everything in the Christian life, watch this, looks back to that hour that he was crucified, that our debt was paid, that our deliverance was procured, that we were set free. Every cell that man was born in, was, was the lock was broken off at this point. Notice, in this hour, he was given, based on the payment for his, our sin, the authority over all flesh. Up to that point, he had not the authority. Satan had the authority over all mankind. We were slaves to him. We were blind. We were deceived. There's no pretty way of saying it. 
held within a cell that we could not break out of. In bondage to something we couldn't pick the lock. Weighed down with a load that we could not get up off of ourselves. Whitney showed me a brochure of a conference, a Bible conference being held somewhere here in the country. And their entire conference is the doctrine of sin. That's a pretty good place to start. Because until we understand how crippled we were, how blind we were, how rebellious we were, you will never understand in that hour we were set free. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you think you're okay. Because Satan has blinded your eyes to the truth of the gospel. And it takes the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit to pull those blinders off, to show you Christ. To show you in that hour, everything that mattered happened. We are living out of the flow of that hour. When this prayer was answered and the Father glorified in the Son, and the Son glorified the Father. Notice verse 2. Since you have given him, the Son, authority, power over all flesh, he has the power to give eternal life. This is not everlasting life. This is the very life of God himself. Look, the only life that matters is God's life. These things of this world do not count, do not matter much. The shimmer in the stores and the glitter on the tree is temporal and passing away. You want to see a study of the selfishness of mankind? Look at the children during the Christmas holidays. What is ever enough? Nothing's ever enough. Because what we need is eternal life from God himself. And Jesus Christ, based on that hour of the cross, when he paid for our sins, has the authority to give that to us. Gives us what no man could possibly give us. God himself. We are a gift from God the Father to his Son, Jesus Christ. We are his gift. Isn't that miraculous? Notice on in the prayer, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. that they may know, notice, not that they may do anything. Not that they may accomplish the religious exercises of any church. I mentioned last week that relationships are not a part of life They are the very stuff life is made out of. When you gather with family this time of year, it is not 
about the stuff we exchange. It's the love we exchange and the life we exchange and how deeply we know one another. This is eternal life that we may know the Father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know him today? I'm not a preacher that's going to give you a list of things to do in order to know him. Because the cross in that hour, he accomplished everything you need to come to him by faith and to know him. Are you growing deeper in your knowledge of him? I'm not asking you if you're doing anything else as a Christian. Because it isn't a cause and effect thing. All the cause happened on the cross. All the effect happens when you just open your heart. Notice as we read on that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Then he says a most astounding thing. He says, I have glorified you on earth. The reason he was qualified for that hour to die for us is that he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was the spotless lamb of God. He accomplished as a man what Adam could never accomplish because he fell to sin. He came and conquered. He came and lived a perfect life. Never an unrighteous thought. Never an unrighteous deed. He always did the will of God on this earth. Notice, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Years ago, uh, in fact, 1994, a fellow named Charles Hummel wrote a small orange pamphlet that became quite impactful in the Christian community back in the early 90s. Uh, It was entitled, The Tyranny of the Urgent, or The Tyranny of the Urgent, depending on how you pronounce that particular word. Hummel's point was based solely upon this verse that Jesus said at the end that I have accomplished everything that you gave me to do. Hummel writes this, Have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? Surely extra time will relieve the tremendous pressure under which we live. Our lives leave a trail of unfinished tasks, unanswered letters, Unvisited friends, unread books haunt quiet moments when we stop to evaluate what we have accomplished. We desperately need relief, Hummel writes. And then he gives a fascinating example of Jesus. And this had quite a bit of impact on me when I read it back in the early 90s. Jesus, this is the example of Jesus Hummel writes about. On the night before he died, Jesus made an astonishing claim. In his great prayer of John chapter 17, he said to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. We wonder how Jesus could have talked about a completed work. His three-year ministry seemed too short. A prostitute at Simon's banquet had found forgiveness and a new life, but many others still plied their trade. With every ten withered muscles that had flexed into strength, A hundred remained powerless. The blind, the maimed, the diseased, 
abounded in throughout the land. Yet on that last night, with many urgent human needs unmet and useful tasks undone, the Lord had peace and was able to say to the Father, all that you gave me to accomplish, I have done. Charles Hummel's point is this. In all the things that we do throughout all of our lives, are we doing the will of God every day? There can be a thousand things left undone if we know that it was never God's will for us to do those things. His point was to start every day looking up to the Father and say, have your way in this day. Do your pleasure. And then go throughout your day and get whatever you can get accomplished and done. And therein is the will of God. And when you die and all those things are left undone, they were never meant to happen in the first place. Jesus accomplished the will of God in the land in the time that he lived. Anyway, fascinating point by Hummel I wanted to bring in there. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I just pause to say, stop trying to do everything and just do what you think and believe is the will of God and let days fall out like they may. You know, some days I think the Lord doesn't want you to accomplish a, a, a thing. I almost said a stinking thing, but that's just not good grammar in front of people. You ever get the feeling during the day the Lord just doesn't want you to accomplish anything because nothing works out? In those days, I sit back and go, you know, Lord, maybe you just want me to know you today and love you and just, you just want me to ha- just have a little chat with you. The best thing to do when everything's, nothing's working out is to throw it all down and just take a walk in the woods. Just take a little drive and go get an ice cream cone. That's what I used to do when I was... Just enjoy the Lord. Just a little reminder during this time of year. But on with the message. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When you come to a prayer like this, any preacher is being honest with you to tell you that this is overwhelming what he said. Most, much of this is hard to understand, isn't it? But here he is asking his father to glorify him with the same glory that he had before the incarnation. It's all this glory was wrapped up in what he would do on that cross for you and I how he would have the right and authority to grant us eternal life, the power. It's one thing to desire to give something to someone. It's another thing to have the power to do it. Jesus Christ, because of that hour that the Father glorified the Son. Can give you eternal life. And what is eternal life? Not that you may do anything, but that you may simply know him. That's it. Because everything comes out of relationships and intimacy. I don't know if you've been to churches 
where they hollered and screamed at you and told you to get busy and do this and do that and gave you a list of stuff. I don't know if you've ever been to churches where they told you to pray more and witness more and read your Bible more and the reason your spiritual life is in, in, in the mully grubs is because you're not doing enough and pulling your weight and, you know, Jesus died for you and this is what you need to do for him. But you don't have to do anything for him. He's accomplished in that hour everything for you. All you need is to hold your heart out and, and receive the work that he's done in that hour and to know him. There are no quick formulas for all that. There's just, just an open heart that just wants to know him. Give you a couple things to go with you besides John Knox. The cross is glorious because Satan was defeated. We don't have to bind Satan with our prayers. We don't have to to wrestle them down and, 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 and get them in the mud and, 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 and through our devotion and diligence put a stop to his works. He has been defeated. He has received a death wound in his head and he is a snake that has a severed head that's just wiggling like crazy. We walk by him and he is already bound by the work of the cross. He has no power over us, no authority in our lives, and you don't get that by claiming it. You already have it. Why do we want something to do to make it happen? It's done. Satan has been defeated. It's done. He who had us enslaved enslaves us no longer. He has no authority. Jesus Christ has authority in us. Oh, by the way, I know Satan's supposed to be capitalized. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, that's on purpose. The cross is glorious because the reality of sin was dealt with. Now, I say this because of that, because of this. No one anywhere other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, faces the reality of sin within us. Nowhere. Education tries to educate a person beyond sin. Tries to make them cultured and refined. Athletics says, discipline the body. Get your body all tight and muscular and get a control of your life. You'll get control of everything else. No, you won't. We try to culture our lives and, and develop ourselves and read books of, of, of either philosophy or books of, of higher learning or, or try to, you know, just do all this stuff. Nothing deals with the sin down deep. Nothing. Some of the most educated people in all the world were the most immoral behind closed doors. There is no answer to the human condition other than the glorious cross of Jesus Christ that deals directly with the reality of sin within our hearts. You can try to shave all kind of frosting over that cake. It's still rotten in the middle. Sometimes folks say to me, preacher, how do you know that? 
because I know my own heart. And if you just looked in the mirror long enough, you'll see a selfish, self-centered rascal that needs everything to go their way apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the only entity that deals with the reality of a sinful nature within us. It is not our environment. It is not the people that you surround yourself with. If you just can get some new people around you, you'd just be a better person. No, you wouldn't. You'd mess up the new people that are all around you. It's the only entity. That's why it's glorious. And thirdly, the cross is glorious because the cross made me his. I'm his. Do you know him today? We're his. Why is that so hard to sink into our minds? Well, I've got to be worthy. You'll never be worthy. You'll never meet the merits. I learned a, a few years ago, he expects nothing from me. So I do nothing for him. Yeah, that sounds kind of radical, doesn't it? He expects nothing from me. So I do nothing for him. Except open my heart to him. That's it. And then whatever he chooses to do in me is his good pleasure. Any move we make in his direction to try to be closer to him ignores the fact that you can't get any closer to him than you have in the cross of Jesus Christ. You are his. And he is yours. John 17 can be boiled up with that five-word statement that I give you again. Don't cry. I'll help you. <laughs> 